OHL hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Boat Podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. Well, this is something we haven't had on the Farwell and Pope podcast in quite some time. By the way, I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. On Twitter, at Farwell underscore OHL. And at underscore Chris Pope. You found the podcast. Good for you. You know where to go for all of the podcast things. Uh, If you haven't subscribed yet, why not do that? What's the matter with you? And leave us a review. All those good things. Use the hashtag AskFNP. As you're following along, and we'll answer the questions you use that hashtag for to ask us. But the thing that we haven't had, I don't think we've had it yet this season, is an in-studio guest who will be joining us in just a little bit on this episode. His junior career is over prematurely, but he was a third-rounder into the National Hockey League. We'll let you figure out the rest. I like it. I thought you were going to bring up that uh, something else that hasn't happened on this podcast was that I brought coffee. And thank you very much for that, right. by the way. No problem. You did last time, so I had to reciprocate the favor. But I brought three because our guest was here. And as we've talked about numerous times, we always stop at Tim Hortons before a, a Rangers away game. And here we find out he doesn't even like coffee. Well, now you just gave away more as to who this guest might be. A yeah, member of the true. Kitchener Rangers. Very true. You know, um, can you believe there's more than a third of the season left? No, I really, <laughs> I really I'm can't. And we must be on the same page because I, I was going to say, speaking of things that you can figure out and, and I'm starting to, I'm starting to worry a little bit about the league for this reason, but with that much time left, just over a third of the season still to go, I would be flabbergasted flat-out flabbergasted if the top four teams in the Western Conference aren't some combination of London, Saginaw, Guelph, and Sault Ste. Marie. Owen Sound, Windsor, Kitchener, Sarnia, Erie, Flint. I hope I didn't miss anybody. I don't think I did. None of those teams will touch the top four. And so with a third of the season to go, if you're a fan in any of those other six markets, um... Okay. Yeah. I'd, I'd say the same thing about the East right now. You mentioned that London, Saginaw, Guelph, Sault Ste. Marie. Is that the order you think it's finishing? Well, I still... Is you that know why what? you did it like that? No. I, I kind of did it like that, yes, for that reason. But I am so not ready to sell my stock in Morgan Frost and uh, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Right? I'm just not. What did he do to Ukopeka Lukanen of all goaltenders? He's gross. Hung five, one of them an empty netter, but still. Anyway, so it could be any combination there for two and four. I'm sticking with London to win the West, but beyond that, just flip your coin. But you know it's those four. I'm I'm so with you on this. Um, just on touching on Frost, I just want it to be known that come every year during OHL draft time, many scouts and people within the game um, send out tweets to remind people that just because you weren't drafted doesn't mean anything it's, or where you were drafted. Morgan Frost was a fourth rounder into the Ontario Hockey League. Turn that around into a first rounder to the show. Just wanted to point that out. Uh, Morgan Frost continues to do Morgan Frost things, and he's a big part of why the Sioux have nine wins in their last ten and have won six in a row. And despite 
what Saginaw is doing. Saginaw has won nine of their last 10. And can you imagine nine wins in your last 10? We've talked about on this podcast and on air about the kind of hockey they're playing, the addition of Ryan McLeod and Owen Tippett, and the, the record that they have under Chris Lazary, and you're still five points back of the division lead. That's how good the Sioux Greyhounds have been, and no one's talking about them, mostly because I believe that most people were with me and thought they had to sell off at the deadline. And let's not forget, in light of that, uh, notice served Guelph. And listen, I, we've talked about it. I love what they did insofar as they think they have a shot. They're loading up for their shot. They had the assets to take the shot. I don't even want to think about the next couple of years in Guelph, but they've loaded up to take their shot. But Guelph had better get its act together in a hurry. I believe it can. We had the chance to have a first-hand viewing of the so-called super team uh, the day after. I guess it was January 11th. I think they were in January 12th, something like that. Yeah, the 11th. Anyway, uh, into Kitchener for a game. And uh, the pieces are clearly all there. But you got to assemble them or get them gelling in an awful hurry with the rest of the division or the rest of the conference playing like it is right now. Yeah, the problem with those super teams, and we saw it some nights last year as Kitchener loaded up, is that of the majority of those older guys, those 19-year-olds, know that they have a shot come playoffs. They know they're going to be in the top four. They want to finish in their division, obviously, so they have home ice. But at this point, they know. They know that they have a chance to win every single night right now and especially come playoffs and that they have a hand, like, numerous games to do that. They've only played 45 in Guelph, so give them another another 23 games to sync up. I think they'll be synced up. Yeah, and here's the thing. I I wonder if, I I don't know, I worry a little bit about the health of the league in all of this. I, I really do because, like we said, you've got a third of the season. You probably have, well, Every team's going to have roughly 10, 12 home games to go. But if you're kind of on the outside looking in, are you enough of a junior hockey fan that you're going to go to a game because you want to see Nick Suzuki and Mackenzie Entwistle and Isaac Radcliffe and Nate Schnarr and Morgan Frost and Alex Formanton and so on down the line play against your team? Or do you want to see a game where your team has a legitimate chance of winning and I know on any given Sunday etc etc but the reality is in this Ontario Hockey League with a third of the season to go we pretty much know what the outcome is going to be we can pretty much predict the Western Conference semi-final matchups so what are we doing here and and are we doing it in a way that maintains interest throughout a 68-game schedule. I don't know that we are, and I'll point to the National Football League, the playoffs of which are being played as we record this and follow the final third of the OHL season, and that 16-game, 18-week schedule has incredible meaning, it seems, from about week four or five on. Every game has some sort of implication. I don't know that that's the case, given the ability to assemble super teams in the OHL. Well, that's why I hate super teams. Right. As much as, you know, it's the ebbs and flows and the cycle that is the Ontario Hockey League and junior hockey in this country, I still think that when you do this type of thing, like it's almost collusion. You help me now, I'll help you later. You don't have to look very far to look at, we talked about it before, isn't it funny how when teams find trading partners, those trading partners tend to stay the same. And there's reasons for that. Because it's, you rub my back, 
I'll rub yours. And I think when we come into these big super teams, it's really detrimental. But I, I don't know if there's another way to rebuild. That's why I think the league really needs to look at the fact that as a CHL as a whole, you get to make 10 movements a year or whatever it is, whether you're allowed to add five new players from your current roster. It really puts an emphasis uh, or a, a more of a more pressure on the general manager and the higher brass. But the way that teams are allowed to stack up, and I know it, it's me saying this the year after the Rangers did it, and I'm a Rangers broadcaster, but I, I think I would have said the same thing last year. That how are you just building these super teams? Because now games between Ottawa and Kingston, like really? The teams that Ottawa has built, and Kingston obviously the team they built last year, 25 points. That's it. But aren't you really countering your own argument? Because if you have fewer transactions, then you've got these teams that are so lopsided for a longer time in the season. But I don't think... You don't think well, you can assemble that much of a team. Exactly, yeah. Then, then you're more emphasis on your drafts. Because then teams like the Sioux, who have obviously drafted really well, yeah, they went out and added some pieces. But the majority of their team that they have are guys that they drafted. That just puts an more emphasis on the draft rather than we picked up a couple players, traded them to somebody going for it, ripped them off in draft picks, and now we're going to load out a bunch of draft picks for seven new guys. Because like, that's kind of what Guelph did, right? Absolutely what Guelph Stocked did. up on a ton of draft picks, waited, 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 and then went out and just got a bunch of guys that they didn't draft. Because then you're, let's say Guelph does win a championship. And you're like, oh, Guelph won. Yeah, well... So did the Owen Sound team, essentially. So did Dale DeGray, right? You look at London, that's why all the credit goes to the Hunters, because they go out and get pieces, yeah, but a lot of their pieces are homegrown. They draft extremely well, and yes, they have the benefit of being the most NHL-like OHL franchise where people want to go there, and some kids and parents and agents say, my kid's only going to play there. Yep, it happens. Let me throw this wrinkle at you along those same lines of limiting the number of moves any one team can make. And to a degree, that already happens with cards that are available to every team at the beginning of the year. But what about this? What about trades in the off-season only? So you start the season in the third week of September, and that's your team. Yeah, I don't like that either. Why not? Because then the exact same thing is going to happen, but for a full season. Guelph goes out and loads up, and then Guelph has this team for the whole season. Then it's just going to be even a bigger issue because you're going to have teams like Ottawa facing teams like Kingston for an entire 68 games. Did it hurt the Golden State Warriors? It hurt the league, I think. Yeah. I don't know. This It's it's interesting. I think, yeah. I think it did, but that's I don't think it's a fair comparison because the NBA is such a a one-person league. You have a superstar, LeBron James, wherever he goes, Eastern Conference Final, NBA Championship Final, Finals. Um, whereas hockey, that a, a superstar has effect on the game, don't get me wrong, but the best player in the world, arguably, is on a team that really sucks in Edmonton right now. They, a superstar doesn't have that much effect on a game in hockey versus it does in a sport like basketball. Um, I think that a full season of the team that Guelph has right now or the team that Niagara went out and got, or Ottawa, that's really dangerous, especially to kids' development, because we've talked about it on this podcast and on air before, but I've said the season Flint is going through right now is one of the worst we've ever seen. Eight wins right now, 19 points. And I'm worried those kids lose the love of the game, because nobody likes coming to the rink 39 times and losing. 
Well, and just remember, it was, what, three seasons ago, I want to say. I'm going off the top of my head here, but that the Guelph Storm had a 13-win season. So it also goes to show you how quickly it can turn around, relatively speaking. I'm sure to the fan base, that dreaded 13-win season is still very much in the forefront of the mind. Probably why the city still hasn't quite yet come around to this new super team and is filling the seats 4,500 strong each and every home game. But I think they'll get there. I think they'll get there. The team is worth going to see. I'm with you. I just think that, as as you mentioned, there's over a third of the season left. And really, you look at the standings, and it's more so like four separate leagues right now. The top four in the West, it's basically them jockeying for position. The top or the bottom five in the West. And then the top four in the East. And the bottom five in the East, with all due respect to Kingston and Flint. I st- I, it, there's not much else going on. I still think in the East there's a little bit of room to maneuver. I, I think your uh, your Sudbury's and your Niagara's and your Ottawa's are in. Oshawa, Peterborough, maybe North... If, like, North Bay just came off an 11-game heater, right? Ten wins and yeah. one shootout loss and in the stretch. And they're in seventh. Right. But... I think, again, a third of a season, Popper. We I know, still have a third saying, of a season. I'm still saying they're in seventh. Yeah. Oshawa, despite the fact that Ukopeka Lukanen is putting the wolves on his shoulders, Oshawa's still up five points on them right now. Everyone sleeps on Oshawa, and I don't know why, because their goaltending might be the best in the Eastern Conference outside of Ottawa. And goaltending wins you championships. They went out and made some real slick moves. Wait a minute. You're saying that Oshawa's goaltending may be better than Sudbury's goaltending? Maybe. Woo-wee. We Maybe. Should, we should not talk about Sudbury's goaltending anymore anyway, because not only yeah, on this podcast, them. but I know right, on the on the broadcasts, the on the air this weekend with the or this past weekend with the Rangers on five seventy news, we were also pumping the tires of the young man we've come to know as UPL. And uh he went out and got spanked by Morgan Frost and the Sioux Greyhounds on Sunday. Kaiser has a goals against average of two thirty nine. UPL two fifty one. Kaiser save percentage of 928, UPL 919. So, yeah, it is. 928. That is a nice, nice number. (laughs) That is a yucky number. Yeah. (laughs) 928. That is uh, very good. Maybe. Oh, who, who drafted him? Who drafted who? Kyle Kaiser. Do you remember who drafted him into the Ontario Hockey League? I believe it was the Oshawa Generals, was it not? You would think so, wouldn't you? It wasn't? No. No. The Flint Firebirds. Oh, dear. Yep. Oh, dear. Yep. That's all. What do they need right now? Goaltending. I don't remember the trade at all. Well, there you go. Yeah, I thought uh, that's a big one, eh? Maybe. uh, Anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Maybe we're just sounding like guys that are part of all 68 games and feeling the dog days of winter. In the dog days of the season. What we need is a road trip, Popper. Good thing we get to go to Sault Ste. Marie this weekend. I just want to remind you of that trade because I have a computer in front of me, so I'm allowed to go back and look. The Oshawa Generals on September 9th, 2016, acquired Kyle Kaiser in exchange for Flint's second-round pick in 2017. Not bad. Not bad. So traded them back their own pick. Yeah, and got Kyle Kaiser. Second rounder. Yeah. And got the goaltender of the future. Anyway, uh, it's it's a weird league right now. And uh, it'll be interesting still to see what happens in the final 25 some odd games. 
only because it's, I think in the, we, we obviously cover the West a lot more. I think in the West, it's, a, well, obviously a two-team battle in each division. So they're going to be facing off against one another, Guelph and London and Saginaw and Sioux. But in the bottom, I, I think Kitch ends up being the best of the rest. I think they have to finish fifth. The way Owen Sound's moving, the way Sarnia's moving. And I, I realistically think Erie probably gets into the playoffs because I think one of those two teams f- probably falls out. The way Sarnia's going, they certainly could fall out. There's a lot of ground to be made up. And I, I still, I, I caught myself this past weekend and projecting, I think, a third of the season. It's too far to look into the future. So much can happen, right? A key injury, yeah. whatever. You just, you just don't know. Heck, I think we're seeing right now in the midst of this five-game homestand with the Kitchener Rangers and they're three and one through the first four of those games, what a little streak like that can do. I think Kitchener's seven and four since Christmas. You go and win five or six in a row like the Sudbury Wolves did, uh, you know, and it changes things for you drastically. It does, but in the big scheme of things, I don't think any team in the bottom half of the standings in either conference can really make a push. Um, no, no, not the, like, not the very bottom at all. Like the Flints and the Kingstons, we know no, it's yeah, a foregone conclusion. For sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. But you're talking like 5-6? Like the 5-6 teams? Like well, you're, all of a sudden an injury to Morgan Frost and the Sioux falls down into six? No, no. But oh, okay. I'm saying projecting Kitchener as high as fifth. Fifth is theirs to lose when they're currently in seventh. Got you. It's okay. still, I mean, I know that it's what, a 5.7 point difference? Five. I believe it between is between right who? Now. Sorry, between Kitchener and seventh, and Owen Sound and fifth. And Owen Sound is five points. Five yes. points. Yeah. So certainly not a not a major gap. Two and a half games in in baseball terms, yeah. right? But it's just it's assuming to some degree that even these lower tier teams can achieve a certain level of consistency that they perhaps haven't had in the season so far. Consistency so. is a great word that you bring up right now, Mike, because I think we've yammered on long enough and time to get to our guest who was extremely consistent when he was on the ice do you think anybody's figured out yet yeah probably yeah i think so you gave it away with your dumb tim horton story gosh okay well nobody picked up on that okay um (laughs) connor hall to say he has had injury issues throughout his career would be an understatement we had hoped that last year would be the year where we got to see a full season of connor hall and far too late into the season Another shoulder injury, which really robbed us from watching the Twin Towers that was Logan Stanley and Connor Hall that was just a joy to watch on East Avenue. And then this year, four games in an overage season. Heartbreaking, to say the least. So do you want to find out what Connor Hall has went through over the last couple of weeks? I know, I want to know. So let's. So talk about a special edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Not only is he an excellent hockey player, he's an okay guy too, if you listen to some of his teammates. Speak for yourself. Yeah. The media members, well, <laughs> we've had our issues. Mr. Connor Hall, thank you very much. Of course. Happy to be here. I'm starting Are to, you though? I'm trying to figure <laughs> oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are like family to me over the past couple of years. There are three cups of coffee in this studio and only two being consumed. How did I not even know this about you until now? Yeah, I mean, Pulper was very nice and, uh, you know, offered me one, but I'm just not really a coffee guy. I haven't really grooved over to it yet. What do you drink instead? I'm more of like a, like a white hot chocolate kind of guy. <laughs> white hot chocolate. Yeah, it's like the game day, the game day special for me. Some, some extra sugar. 
It's going to change. Yeah, you lost some points there, Halsey. Yeah. I'll never forget one of my earliest conversations with our police chief, Brian Larkin, who wasn't the chief at the time, but he was a media officer. I had to do an interview with him. He said, just let me stop in at Tim's and I'll be right back with you. I said, oh, yeah, you got to have the coffee before you talk to me. He says, says, as far as he actually, it's uh, it's green tea. I'm like, whoa, (laughs) whoa, Officer Larkin. Anyway, he's come around. He drinks coffee. There's more caffeine in green tea than coffee, though. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Did not know that. Now you know. Now you know. You want to tell the man how much... Uh, caffeine is in his white hot chocolates? I don't know. Probably, yeah. probably a lot. The sugar, though, is good. Yeah, sugar gets um. to me. <laughs> so, Halsey, let's get, uh, let's get down to it health-wise. Um, two weeks post-second surgery. Yeah. So, it's um, yeah, it went really smoothly. And, um, yeah, uprising from here. Now, by second surgery, you mean just for clarity's purposes, both shoulders have been reconstructed now. Yeah. So, I got the... The right done for the second time in November, and the left one I just recently got done uh, January 9th. First time on the left one? Nope. Second time Se- on both? Second on yeah. both. So. What, what, kind of, what was the difference between the first and the second time? Like, what was the different surgeries? So basically the first surgery, um, they just repaired the labrum, which uh, keeps popping out when I dislocate. And um, he just said genetically uh, the first surgery on uh, each shoulder just didn't help me at all. He said, uh, you know, just with my, you know, genetics, my family and everything, that uh, the first surgery just didn't do anything. So it's basically like I could have just played. And then this surgery this time around, uh, he actually moved a bone within my shoulder um, onto, like, the end of the labrum so that my shoulder won't be able to pop out. What did that feel like? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, anytime I hear moving a bone, yeah, I'm like, yeah. pardon? yeah. <laughs> So basically the first one was uh, laparoscopically, so like they just made two little incisions, and now this time there's a big cut, so they can like really get in there. But um, surgery-wise, is a tough for uh, first six weeks this time around, but then it gets easier after that. Can you take us through, because I want to know, I want to get into this, about what <laughs> it feels like, first of all, what it feels like playing after the very first surgery. So you know in your head, right, that you yeah. you might be a little more fragile. I don't know. Take take me through that. You you, you blow out the first shoulder. It was your left one the first time? Yeah. Are you, okay. Yeah. So your left shoulder gets injured. Rookie season, right? Um, It was the year after my year draft after, year. Okay. Yeah. Year after draft year. And what's it like then for you as a player? Uh, it's, it's nerve-wracking for sure. I mean, going through one shoulder injury was like, the toughest thing in the world and I like didn't even like think that I'd be where I am today like surgery wise like all the shoulders but um for me personally it was uh I didn't really change much like I I came in and I still played like my gritty like style and um you know still like fought and did little things but I never really went out and like like was like nervous or like didn't do things because of my shoulders I think uh, that more so came in once I had, um, like, last season when I had the shoulders just kept dislocating, kept dislocating. Then I, you know, had to veer away from some hits or not fight and stuff like that. But coming back from surgery, I was, like, very eager to, you know, bring my presence back. And, I mean, me looking at it, I don't want to play unless I'm playing my style. Right. It's That's no fun. Like, I don't want to go out there and, like, not talk to guys or not fight or not you know, be gritty and getting at people's grills. Like, that's just, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. So because then, and sorry, Pope, I'll let you get right back in, but because you 
were injured so many times. And I don't mean to belabor the point, but that kind of was the story of your junior yeah. career. And we got sadly accustomed to, to watching you kind of skate off that ice hunched over. What's that feeling like when you know, oh, it's on the podcast, but I won't curse, but oh crap, it's out again. Like, what's that feeling like? Are you in pain instantly? Oh, it's instant pain. Okay. Oh, for sure. And um, at that moment, there's just, there's a hundred things going through my head. It's like, because at one end of the stick, I got, you know, my family who feels for me and like, they hate seeing me go through this and grandparents and they're like, why do you still play and stuff and stuff like that. And then I got, you know, the hockey world who's like, oh, like, just get like, do rehab and you'll be ready to go and stuff. (laughs) So it's like tough to balance everything out right away, but it's more of just like an emotional thing at the point, like where I'm like, oh, like again, like you got to be kidding. Like, why me? Like, why, why does this keep happening to me? And like, I just like run a lot of things over. But once uh, the relief's more so once they pop the shoulder back in, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that gives me at least uh, a little bit of a stress reliever. But yeah, that, that night's for sure, like the toughest night. The, the feeling of obviously coming into this year, having both shoulders already done, you told us, I'm ready. I'm going back out on that ice, and I'm never coming back up in this press box again. After that second shoulder surgery, was there ever the thought of not coming back? No. No? No. Like, after the first two surgeries? Yeah. No, I I thought coming into this year that I was, like, set, ready to go. I thought, like, I had a great summer. Um, You know, hitting everything, shooting, like, everything throughout summer was as planned. And I came into the season, like, thinking, you know, I – got a full 68 games to sign an NHL contract, and uh, this could be my first year to play a full season. Four games. In that fourth game, shoulder got messed up again. Do yeah. you remember the play? Because it, it was a weird play, wasn't it? Yeah. Front of the net? It was, um, I think, Hillis on Guelph like, came and uh, kind of sandwiched me between Ratcliffe, and then I just fell on my hands, and uh, it popped out. And that was the thing that sucked. It wasn't, it wasn't like getting hit. Or, like, taking a shot or, like, anything, like, you would think. It was me falling every single time. I'd just fall, and then one one or the other would come out. So and that's just the way it was. How did it all, officially or unofficially, I'm not really sure how to put it, because there wasn't anything, certainly officially, from the team that said Connor Hall has been released. And I don't know what it would, I don't know what it would look like, but... Yeah. As an overager coming into this season, one of the three that the team's allowed to carry, uh, we knew after the injury the writing seemed to be on the wall. So Chase Campbell gets released, Cole Cameron comes in, et cetera. There was always a spot, but was there a communication with the team? Did you did you guys decide together this is how you want it to go? I kind of thought that you might be uh, named some sort of uh, special coach or something like yeah. that just to you know keep you within the fold of the organization. But So how did it all come to an end for you, officially or unofficially? Yeah, so I, I talked it over with um, you know, Mike and Steve and uh, you know, Jay as well, and I, I was fine with um, of course, like I was obviously fine with them bringing another overager. I couldn't I couldn't be angry or anything. I was still on the team. So for that standpoint, it wasn't really a big deal. And, um, you know, I, I'm here for the team to win. And, you know, whether I'm playing or whether I'm not, I still, you know, root for them the same way. And, uh, 
you know, I'm still bringing a presence to the rink every day. So, you know, whether I'm, you know, on the paper or not, it, it doesn't really matter to me. It's weird not seeing you on the paper. <laughs> I'll just say that all of a sudden yeah. on February the 11th, it's not or January 11th, it's not there anymore. Yeah. Still being around the room and stuff like that. How important is that to you, though? Uh, it's very important because, you know, looking back when I was 16, I had some, you know, older guys like Maskant and Frank and, you know, guys who really taught me a lot that, you know, it's good to have an older presence because kids don't really realize that time does fly by like it does. And you make a lot of memories and you got to cherish those ones. It seems like you mentioned that time flying by. It seems like just yesterday you were in Elmira yeah. hosting a championship trophy and now you're an overage. It's crazy. What do, you, do you, what do you remember from your time as a king? Like it, it was brief, but obviously yeah. successful. Yeah, it was like, first of all, I was very happy to, you know, get traded to the Kings when I was younger knowing the GM, um, he brought me in when I was like 13 and said, we're going to trade for your rights, blah, blah, blah. So be a good hockey player so you can play here. <laughs> not, so... Even, not even in major band. I mean, he's trained for me. So, no. So, yeah, it was really good. It was um experience I'll never forget. And it was pretty cool because we had about 12 Cambridge kids on our Elmira team, which looking back at it, if we all would have been on Cambridge, they would have, you know, been unreal. Cruised. Yeah. So, you know, our GM, um, Stewie, who's now GM of, uh, or assistant GM of um, Dutchies, is, uh, you know, he's a great guy and he brought me in. And, um, you know, we had a really good team and it was fun to be able to win a championship my first year. So, from that championship with the Kings, uh, oh, so close. And I know your role being different, but game seven, yeah. double overtime last year in the Sioux. What was that experience like for you, especially? given the position you were in at the time on the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, it was very tough. It was, um, you know, we came so close to, you know, being in an OHL final, and we liked our chances against Hamilton. And, um, you know, looking back at all the games, um, you look back to game one, and, you know, they score with whatever 12 seconds left, and that that hurt us a lot. And that was a game that, you know, would have been a must win because, if you steal the first game, then even if you lose game two, you're still coming home tied 1-1, and that's great chances. So, um, yeah, like even game six uh, when Scherzi scored in overtime, like it was just electrifying. <laughs> like I've never heard the odds so loud in my life. Going back, I just want to touch on it real quick. During that season in Elmira, 111 pims in 37 games. Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to put that well, out there. You <laughs> remember, though, when... Style didn't change much. No. <laughs> Connor Hall and Sean Allen were coming yeah. up together with the Kitchener Rangers, and everybody was looking at that thinking, we've got a couple of twin towers of strength on the back end <laughs> yeah. here, right? You guys were feeling that as rookies, too, I'm sure. Oh, we got told that many times that, you know, they'd almost bring us in together and be like, we need you guys to play this way, and... We want you to play like this defenseman right now in the OHL, and you know we're going to need you guys for when we go on a run someday. Okay, so now we just wanted to point that stat out. I like that <laughs> three pims a game. Yeah. I like it. You also um, get the you get the ten minutes in junior B though, yeah. so those those add up. It's quite, inflated. Quite it's quite inflated. Yeah. 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 Still, I think the next highest was where it wasn't very close. Um, going back to last year in that run, do you, we we've talked about it before? Do you, as somebody who watched that playoff series against the Sioux? Do you think that's a different outcome if you're in there? I think that a lot of good players on our team stepped up, as in like Vooks and guys. So it's hard to say that, you know, it would have been a different outcome if I played because, you know, then Vooks goes down to second D pair and like Mm -hmm. it may even our lines out a little bit more. But I do think that, you know, even adding just Smitty to the last game can change the entire thing. And, 
I hate looking back at it because it riles me up a little bit. But <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but but playing it like just looking if I would have played in playoffs, I I feel like I would like their chances just a little bit more. Just that little extra oomph to, you know, play against Boris and Radish and those guys. And I think Stan and I did a really good job of playing against them, um, you know, throughout the season. And we were kind of tough to play against. We've talked about the impact of Giovanni Smith. For somebody who went to war against him numerous times, yep. when it's announced that you guys <laughs> traded for him, are you like, are you kidding me You're right like, now? You're like, thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to be honest, none of us actually saw it coming. Well, yeah. <laughs> we we saw the, the Brownie and McEnany deal coming, and we saw, like, Jersey and stuff, but no one knew that Giovanni Smith was coming here, and then Macker <laughs> just pulled it out, and he was here one day. So, obviously, we were happy to have, you know, a couple meatheads like me, Stan, and uh, <laughs> Giovanni playing together. We weren't, the, you know, really the nicest team to play against, but that was, you know, our style, and teams... If you go into a game looking at a team thinking, you know, I'm scared to play against these guys, like that's goal accomplished. Because then you let your scores, they can play however they want. Because, you know, their job is to score goals. So if other teams are worried about, you know, being scared out there, then, you know, we let guys like Masher and Brown and Sherwood really take over. Speaking of knowing what was coming with McEnany, Brown, et cetera, uh, how, how much do you guys know I'm thinking of the meatheads like us every time the trade deadline rolls mm-hmm, around. Yeah. And there are a million rumors out there, especially in this day and age when you've probably played with guys in the offseason, played with guys before you got to the O, a variety of different things. Maybe you're just friends from childhood. Yeah. How many of these things do you know way before meatheads like us know? Um, I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, the thing is, like, a lot of the OHL players talk within each other. Sure. So I could be talking to someone from Ottawa, and then he knows someone from Kingston, and the word gets around quite easily. I think a lot of things can be blown out of proportion sometimes, but that OHL Insiders also does a pretty bang-on job of uh, getting some deals good. So, you know, the boys are always looking at that. But, you know, everyone talks within teams, and um, the the deadline's a real nervous time because no one really knows you know what could happen and like like we said we never really saw McHugh getting traded but you know you gotta you gotta make a decision because we gotta make room for always next year and it just sucks to see you know so many guys go this year that were were so close on our team like Yorkie and Chase and stuff so I mean that's the hockey world. After last year's deadline where you guys went out and got those guys from Windsor and then you guys get a guy like Smitty. What's the mood like in that room the next day of practice? Uh, we were just, we were, we were so fired up because we knew that we had a good enough team to win it. Yeah. You know, regardless what any other team made deals, we knew that we had, you know, six strong D. You know, Cully was, you know, our backbone. He was great. And we had, you know, all our lines were solid. Like, if you look back at it, we had a fourth line of Huggy, Liska, and Yancis. Now look at Huggy and Yancis this year. <laughs> Those guys, like, yeah, Yance, like you predicted that either. No, Come on, like, <laughs> 33. No. Yeah, it's yeah. 33 goals. Huggy, world junior assistant captain. Like, it's just you wouldn't even guess it. And then a third line that was probably our best line throughout the entire year. Yep, it's crazy to think about. What's it like for you? And should we officially say Puss Lynch or Cambridge? What is it? Cambridge, Cambridge, <laughs> okay. Cambridge, is, Cambridge good. is good, but Cambridge kid, yeah, playing your junior hockey. In one of the premier markets in all of the Canadian Hockey League, nobody will argue that, but it's essentially your hometown team. Yeah. What's that like for you? Uh, you know, growing up, coming to games, it was always like a very unrealistic thing. Um, you know, 
and you know getting drafted here is like the most nervous time because you have all your friends and family in the stands and you're not really you don't get that like junior experience of you know living away from home but I just embraced you know every second and you know it's been it's been a great time so far and uh you know I'm happy to be able to play here in front of you know all these fans and I couldn't imagine my you know OHL life without being in Kitchener there's been quite a few people from this area that you grew up playing with and then turned playing against and even with with the Rangers, the likes of Boris, who you've talked about, uh, Stan, who you've talked about, uh, Nathan Bastian. I, I, can, I can think of all the yeah. kids that came from around here. Yeah, lots. <laughs> <laughs> what is that like when you're, like, I guess, you know, at one point Logan Stanley's your defense partner and really close with him, but what's it like when you're in game, you know, you're going head-to-head against a guy that you're very close with like Boris? Uh, it's tough because you know you know guys outside of hockey and you've practiced with them and played with them a lot and it's not a it's not an easy thing to do but it's it's a very fun time because you get that extra little bit of energy that you want to beat them and you know you wanna you know you want to play better than them and that was always my thing I always knew that Stan was you know better than me but every game that we played against him I was you know I need to play better than him tonight. And, you know, even playing against, like, Boris, it's like, if I shut Boris down tonight, I did my job. If Boris scores tonight, I didn't do my job. So it's always that little, you know, extra bit of fun that, you know, you could chirp afterwards and be like, hey, like, yeah, you scored tonight or something. Like, you didn't. But, um, you know, he's a great guy. And, you know, we grew up with a lot of great guys around here. So, yeah, just be able to play against them is, uh, you know, very fun. What is the best and the worst part? Of playing in the Ontario Hockey League. <laughs> Don't worry, Branchy doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, the best part's probably honestly making all the friendships. Um, you even look back at like Jay and you know Ryan and all these guys who have had as great coaches. They say you know OHL or wherever they played is you know the best time to make friends, and you'll remember them forever. And um, you know that's just something that you know I've learned over the years. A lot of guys move on, but it's you know very important to stay in touch and. You'll uh, you'll run into a lot more guys down the road if you um, you know stay friends with them. And sorry, sorry, go ahead. Well, was, come on, don't let me get off the, yeah. the worst part yeah, here. I, know. I, I forgot. Part I apologize. <laughs> I want to know. Well, the worst part, honestly, is probably probably trades. In, in my mind, I think that you know within trades and in injuries and stuff. Well, injuries more so towards me, but. Um, you know, just seeing guys who you've played with for a long time, like McHugh and I came in as rookies, played together for four years. It's uh, it's not easy just to see someone who you've, you know, sought the rink every day through your whole OHL career, um, you know, go somewhere else. So that's probably the toughest thing. But there's a little other things, but uh, that's probably the main one. You mentioned the relationships and how, you know, you talk to Mike Van Ryan and, course Jay McKee also had Troy Smith for a handful of games in your first season but I want to concentrate because you had Rhino and uh, Jay the most how are they similar and how are they different um well Rhino Rhino is more of a hard ass than Jay I think Rhino you know he came off like kind of as like a bipolar guy like he would show (laughs) up one day and you know, it'd be ping pong in the morning and then in the afternoon he'd be screaming at us. And like, I think that just caught our attention more. And, you know, we all respected, you know, Rhino real well. 
And, um, you know, it's it's different with each team that you have. I think that, you know, we had an older team the year that, that we had Rhino as a coach, and, um, you know, you get treated a little bit differently. Um, whereas, you know, this year we're a lot younger. So, you know, you see Jay acting, not acting, but he just needs to coach a little bit of a different way just uh you know, mold these young guys into, uh, you know, being better players someday. So I think, you know, similarities, they're, um, you know, they're both very vocal, good coaches, and, um, you know, they both have the same outcome. They both want to win, and, um, you know, that's good to have as a coach. I can attest to that uh, Mike Van Ryan, Jekyll and Hyde persona. (laughs) We got along really well until that one time I tweeted, I can't remember who it was either, but had a wrist injury. Yeah. And man, oh man, did he let loose on me before that game. I don't tell him it's a wrist, tell him it's an ankle. Anyway, we got, we got over it. We're fine. Yeah. He was, we (laughs) we never knew what was coming out of him. And that was kind of like the thing that kept us on our toes with, you know, whenever we were coming to the rink, we didn't really know what was going to happen. So (laughs) we had a couple of scary moments that year, but you know, in the outcome, we all respected him a lot and you know, he was a great coach and that's why he's, you know, in the NHL now. Something to do with this year's team, and I want to get your uh, your outlook on it because you're somebody who's been in that dressing room and been around some of these guys, as you mentioned, every day for your junior hockey career. We were talking the other day about the lack of a captain on this team, and many people, many fans, I should say, um, were waiting for that captaincy to be put on your jersey when you came back. Yeah. A two-parter, really. One, what would it have meant? And two, do you think the team will name a captain? Uh, well, it would have been a lot. I think coming to this year, I really wanted to be the captain, and I really wanted to take um, you know this team under my belt and you know be the main leader. But um, yeah, I mean it's hard it's hard to to think that way when I'm not playing. But um, you know it would have been really nice to you know be captain of you could say my hometown mm-hmm. and um, you know just be remembered as you know wearing the C in my final year and kind of be up on that bulletin board forever. And uh, what was part two? I shouldn't ask double barrel questions. Uh, the, sec- the second part: Do you think they will name one? I, I or don't. does a captain actually matter? Because we've we've had that conversation, yeah. Farwell and I. Does a captain actually matter to a team? Um, I, I think it does. I think that every team does need um, you know, someone to step up and kind of be above everyone else. So, you know, if something does go wrong right now, um, you know, you, you can't just you look at our four leaders and be like, hey, like what's going on, like. It's nice to have, you know, one person to, you know, kind of be above um, everyone. And I think it's just hard with our team right now because of the fact that, you know, I may have been named captain. You know, at the start of the season, it kind of shook of everyone that, you know, we don't really know who's going to be captain now. So I, I hope they name a captain. And I've talked with Jay and other, um, you know, guys on the team, and I think we should name a captain. I think that would help us. Um, but I don't think they're in any rush to, you know, make a decision on that. I think they want to make um, the choice of the right person, and I think after the deadline, they just want to see who we saw on the team to be able to make a decision like that. You know, Halsey, despite the fact you're sitting here chatting with us instead of finishing out your junior career on the ice, and you don't get the name on that bulletin board as the captain, there is still something that you accomplished in your junior career that nobody can ever take away from you. And and this is honestly, like, I get excited like this just living through you. It's Popper still has a chance for Sportsnet to give yeah. him a call someday, right? <laughs> he could get the call to the bigs. I'm I way too it. old for that. I doubt it. But the Pittsburgh Penguins called your name, and not just called your name, but called it in the third round. That's no accident. Yeah. What's it like? That's clearly, that is every 
players dream once they get to this level. So tell us what realizing that dream was like. Uh, that was a that was a very hectic year for me. Um, you know, coming in, I played I think my fourth or fifth game in January. Yes, because you that's right. It was your second half of the season. Yeah. You played it like a house on fire. I'll yeah. never forget it. Yeah, but like coming into January, I was like I didn't even think about NHL. I was like starstruck about OHL still. I still like. My only goal was to just play in the OHL. That was all I, and I think that's what kind of separated me from a lot of other people is I wasn't really worrying about anything else because I didn't have to because there was no hype at that time. So, you know, I got a chance to play, you know, third D pair and kind of worked my way up. And once I got the chance uh, to play with Frank on the top line, I just embraced it and played it as much as possible. And you know, kind of grew into the game that everyone wanted me to. So, you know, that year was crazy. And, um, you know, even it all really went up come playoff time when, you know, we beat Windsor first round, and that was, you know, a really good series. And, um, you know, I played, I had a really good series that round, and then we had to play London. And although we got swept by London, I thought that, you know, I played the best I could have out of, um, you know, playing Marner and Kachuk and those guys. So, you know, just looking back at that and then going to U18s, it all um it was just a year that started off like at the bottom and then I just, you know, went up the mountain the whole way up. So yeah, draft day was very emotional and um, you know, for Pittsburgh to trade up and get me it was uh you know, it meant even more. Going back to your time with the Rangers, when I was doing the T V gig, hosting games down watching them between the benches, and during some of the times when you were in a suit, you would come down a little early. We'd sit there and watch the last five minutes of a game or an overtime or a shootout or whatever it was. And I don't think it's telling tales at a school. There were a couple times where things were getting a little feisty between the benches, and I would look back to you, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm going to remove myself from this situation so yeah. I don't get in Halsey's way. Yeah. And you could see those eyes. They were just staring at someone. And I'm sure that was the way you were on the ice. Was there ever a time where you thought, I'm in over my head here? This guy I probably shouldn't go head-to-head with? No, never. <laughs> I always thought that. You know, my presence on the ice, um, you know, had to be known, you know, whether it was, you know, talking to someone or even even off the ice. If, um, <laughs> you know, guys started screwing around on the ice, I would, you know, get in between and kind of just start yipping them a little bit. But, you know, I always made sure that, you know, guys knew that I was there. And, you know, even if I wasn't on the ice, I was, you know, letting them know that my presence is still here if I'm on the bench. You know, we talk all the time, and you mentioned how quickly the junior career goes by. And now we sit here having this conversation with you when you're an old guy at 20. You're not 21 yet, are you? No. Not even 21 yet. So I think, for what it's worth, the meatheads on this side of the podcast, uh, that there's still more hockey in your future. But what do you think? Yeah, um, my goal is obviously to, you know, go pro and, um, you know, give that a shot. I need to you know, make sure both my shoulders are healthy. And, you know, just looking at it, it's tough for NHL teams to look at me right now and be like, hey, like, let's invest in this guy kind of thing because I haven't played a full season over the past three years, and that's, you know, a red flag, and even I know that. But, um, you know, looking at when I'm playing, I think I have the caliber to go pro. And, um, you know, it's not a fact of, you know, me not being a good hockey player. It's just a fact that I haven't been able to play a lot. So... In my mind, I still think that once my shoulders are healed and if I get my body into a you know, good enough shape to you know, be able to play at that pro level, then 
you know, I just need a, you know, I see a shot somewhere. So if a team's willing to give me a shot, I think that I can um, embrace it and kind of flow with it. If anyone's giving you a hard time, send them to us. We'll back yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> sounds um, good. <laughs> when when is the is there like a a goal date for the shoulders to be healthy? When can you get back to skating, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so roughly four weeks from now, I think I can start um, you know skating by myself. Um, that'll just be like stick handling, no shooting. Stick um, handling. Yeah. No, no one on the ice. <laughs> just uh, limit all the risk factors. Just one puck, so I don't slip and fall or anything. But um, yeah, I'll be excited to do that. Get some conditioning. I mean, give me something to do. What What's the off ice training like right now to kind of build yourself back up to that point? Uh, or is there much? There's not much oh. right now. I mean, I really just whenever I go to the rink, I just. Um, you know, do some work with Berkey and um, you know, he just massaged me out and just do a little bit of rehab. But it's tough to to bike or run right now because I don't want my shoulder kind of jumping around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, within the next two weeks, I'll be able to slowly start doing some stuff and then um, just carry that into summer. Sorry, Mike, just real quick. Do you know of anyone else who's had that surgery done? Because nope. it sounds like it sounds like pretty invasive. Yeah. Did they I've, say? He says he does a couple of years. He says um, you know, a lot of hockey players don't really do it, but he's never had a problem with any other uh, sports athlete after the fact. So hmm. that's something positive to look at. Where was it done? Toronto? Somewhere in the uh, States? London. London? Okay. Yeah. So when you sign the pro deal, are you going to come back on the Farwell and Pope podcast? No, of course. <laughs> I'll be here in the summer. a boy. Real quick, we've got to get one story out of you if you can. If there's a story you could tell on air about anyone you've played with, if someone says to you 10 years down the line, oh, you were a Kitchener Ranger? What's the funniest story you have about someone that you played with, again, that you can tell on the air? It can take some time. It doesn't need to be, it could just be a funny chirp that you heard or something, someone slept through a meeting or maybe someone did something away from the rink that was funny when you guys wrote paintballing or something along those lines. Give us, give the fans something that, uh, mm. um, a go-to that you can probably, you know, that maybe you always chirp bunner about or something. <laughs> Or, or you don't have to probably, name names. You don't have to name names. Okay, no names? Okay, I gotta <laughs> That's go, up to I you. Gotta, names is more fun. Okay. <laughs> probably have to be a story about... I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, probably a story about McHugh because he was a character our whole career. And um, it got to the point at one time where when he was in high school, he was taking one semester. He had uh, he had wood shop, cooking, and gym. <laughs> and that was, that was his one semester. Way to get your uh, yeah. diploma yeah. there, yeah. Q. Yeah. So that was that was his one semester. And looking back at it, he he didn't even go to class. So you know, knowing our team, we you know if we show up late to class or whatever, we get in trouble. We'll have to skate or something, and you know it got a little hectic. But he lived down the road, and one day he actually called me and said, you know, I need to I need a ride right now, and it was like ten thirty. I was like aren't you at school or something? And he's like, no, like I slept through. And I was like, dude, like school started at 8.15. Like, what have you been doing? And he's like, oh, I went to bed at 6 a.m. I thought I could just have a quick, like, a little hour nap, and then I'd be ready to go for school. And I was like, well, like, dude, you just have to sit in class. Like, you're taking gym, wood shop, and, like, cooking. Like, just sit there. Like, you could probably sleep there if, like, if you want to. Like, Comes right down to it in a pinch, yeah. You're probably better off to sleep there, so... That was kind of our thing, and I would pick him up and take him. And, uh, you know, we tried to get away with it a couple of times talking to teachers, but one time we actually showed up to the rink and um, 
you know, the whole team had to bag skate because of him. So that was probably the the funniest time where, you know, the guys were mad at him, but they also knew that it was, you know, pretty hilarious. So the cooking class pays off. Yeah. Right. Sure. That's a good one. That's, we'll remember uh, that. We still couldn't believe that you could actually take those three classes in one semester. Somebody's got to look at that. That's that, terrible. Q found a loophole. Yeah, <laughs> he would. He fluked the system. <laughs> Halsey, thank you very much for taking the time, buddy. Perfect. Thank you guys for having me. Of all the stories, of all the stories, we get Nick McHugh not showing up for school. But, man, oh, man, how do you get a semester like that, eh? Woodshop, gym, and cooking. If you didn't have straight A's. Um, <laughs> you were asleep. Yeah, well. Isn't it funny how that's two stories we've heard on air, one from Jay McKee, one from Connor Hall about Nick McHugh, and both had to do with his sleeping. Maybe he should go see a sleep doctor. I don't know if Nick McHugh up in Mississauga listens to the Farwell and Pope podcast, but if he does, Q, my man, come on as a guest. Defend yourself. I think that'd be a good one. Okay. I think we could probably make that happen. I enjoyed that conversation with Connor Hall because you get to know these guys away from the rink a little bit over the years. And obviously as an OA, he's been around for a lot of years, just not a lot of time on the ice for Connor Hall. But even in the interviews that we would have on various broadcasts through Connor Hall's career, I've never heard him so relaxed. And mm-hmm. he's you know, speaking in, in much broader strokes and elaborating a lot more. I really enjoyed that. Good on him. Good I on loved him. it. And I, I felt the same way. Down at Ice Level, we'd be watching games and he wouldn't shut up. And then you put a mic on him, and all of a sudden he became really reserved and quiet. And I think he was just nervous of saying the wrong thing and sure. didn't want to embarrass anyone on his team because I don't, I've, I don't think I've ever met a more team guy in my life of hockey than a guy like Connor Hall. And I talked about his wires crossing down at ice level a few times. I was seriously afraid a few times that he, in no fully, no gear at all, in a suit, was going to attack the opposing bench full of hockey players in full, full gear. I was like, he's he's going to do it. This got, is going to be the time. He's got the crazy eyes. He's got the crazy eyes. <laughs> I went running. All right, before we get out of here, I've just got I've got one word for you, Popper. Okay. One word, okay? Yeah. Muyos. Oh, right? I do like a nice Muyos. What a weekend we are. I told myself I was going to start eating healthy this weekend. No, you're not. I think I might wait. Wait until Monday at least, okay? Yeah. A little trip. We're at home Friday night, and then we leave Saturday. Pit stop in Sudbury for the Caruso Club Meatballs. Meet the balls. Oh, what a place. It's fantastic. And then, oh, Muyos. This is, and here's the thing. I don't think you have yet been up for a Sunday afternoon game. I have soon. not. There was one time, and Breakfast. I'm not. Right? I've heard. I, not that I remember. Eggs, <laughs> bacon, Pancakes in the media room, whatever. Muyos can bring the usual chicken, chicken fingers, fingers and that Caesar salad or that yeah. garden salad with the hot, hot peppers. peppers. So good. Yeah. Whatever. All, all we know is this. We are being fed well on this roadie through the O. And we're going up Saturday, which means we probably, you and I, will have a time Saturday night for maybe a beverage. It's amongst the possible. town of Sault Ste. Marie. So, no, we're not going to Lop Lops again. Um, I'm no, sorry, we got, Lop we Lops. Did. We, we got Lop Lopped there. Did we ever? So, I'm still sorry. paying for that. You got Lop Lopped there. Holy cow. Yeah, but maybe we'll go out for a beer or watch the game somewhere. What's going? I don't know what's going on Saturday night. Maybe we'll head out, experience Sault Ste. Marie. So if you're from the Sioux, 
and you're listening, give us a spot where we should maybe go catch the game. Shane, I'm looking at you. Shane, Just not I'm lop trying lops. To, yeah, we're not we're not doing the lop lops. Somewhere we can go watch the game, have a pint, maybe a couple chicken wings, and stumble home. That's all we're looking at. Right? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. There's not a whole lot near where we stay. But well, this way. is what I mean. Give it up to the people that are from there. Where do we go? Okay, that's fine. Is it worth getting in an Uber? I don't. They don't have Uber up there, probably. Actually, I know they don't. All I care Regardless. about is Muyos. Muyos. All right. Well, now I'm getting hungry, so let's go. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. <laughs> and that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. We're hungry. This has been the Farwell and Pope podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.